circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. Tonight, we will spend the hour with folk music artist, podcaster, and military veteran Joy Damiani. I don't want to be thanked for what I did in the military because I don't think of it as a service. I think of it as a job, a badly paid job that required me to relinquish my own moral code, to follow orders I didn't believe in, to help create propaganda that would help other people think that what I was doing was service. On tonight's show, we'll hear an interview with graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco and Joy Damiani as they speak about music, the military, the recruitment of our children, and of course, war and peace. We'll also hear some music from Joy Damiani, and I'll tell you about some upcoming events here in the Bay Area. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host tonight, Freewilling Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Free Will and Franklin, and I'm going to turn it over now to graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco as she speaks with folk music artist, amateur boxer, podcaster, and military journalist during the Iraq War, Joy Damiani. Check out their conversation about music, War and Peace, Recruitment, and even her forthcoming book and more. Hello, I'm Sarah Blanco. We are speaking with Joy Damiani, a writer, podcaster, and musician who has toured extensively and whose music has been played a lot on the Pacifica radio network and beyond. Joy's first two albums were I've Got Your Folk Songs Right Here, followed by Folk in Your Face. While planning a third album, a traumatic divorce led Joy to change names and has recently produced new music and is still making more music. A recent release is titled Notes to Self and Others. Joy's music is known for ranging between snarky and sweet, with lyrics straddling the smudged line dividing comedy and tragedy. Joy was recruited as a teenager into the U.S. Army out of hometown Syracuse, New York, just months after 9-11, and spent six years as an enlisted Army public affairs specialist, and emerged after two deployments to Iraq with an altered sense of patriotism, a darkened sense of humor, and a love of songwriting. 
Joy has also published various articles, essays, and poems, and is in the process of publishing a book inspired by military experiences. Welcome, Joy. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I want to take a moment to take a look at the creative work that you do in your music and your songwriting. What fueled your enthusiasm and spirit and great writing in Notes to Self and Others? <laughs> well, trauma, of course. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the Notes to Self and Others is my, uh, it was my, divorce album my closure album my ex uh, kind of stormed out and told me to find my own closure and I was like okay I will I will write an album and produce it myself and um and I, I had a couple of really fantastic women um playing on it I had a awesome engineer from the Bay Area Jules and Delicato who mixed it and a fantastic um mastering engineer from Colorado, Anna Jean Frick, who mastered it. But so it was, um, it was a really fantastic collaboration and made me feel like I had finally said all the things to myself and, uh, and, and out into the void for whoever else needed to hear them to like, to really heal from a lot of the trauma of being left by an abusive partner and having to grapple with that having finding a new a new um, voice a new perspective and um yeah so I write notes to myself <laughs> when uh when I need guidance <laughs> and so that's all those songs were me pep talking myself me uh kind of reminding myself of the bigger picture and um you know saying things to um, my abuser that I couldn't actually say in the moment. So, um, yeah, and that that was my, like, pandemic, you know, <laughs> accomplishment. And then I've been doing a couple of other, I've recorded a couple of other singles since then. But, yeah, that's, that's the long answer. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and so... You are a six-year Army veteran, and for a long time, you've been speaking about violence within the military in a, in a variety of formats, right, the way that the mm -hmm. violence appears. So for our listeners, there are trigger warnings here because we're speaking of violence within the military. However, I want to take it back. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about what the military represented for you before you joined and what was the recruitment process like for you? Yeah, so before I was recruited, before I was successfully recruited, I really did not, I wasn't impressed by the military particularly. I, I, I wasn't attracted to it. It wasn't, you know, soldiering wasn't a thing I ever really cared about doing right, or wanted to do. Um, but when it became clear that the military was going to be um, what what I could see. The recruiter made um, the military seem like the best path to what I wanted, which was um, a college education and a journalism career. I wanted to be a journalist. And, and uh, it was right after 9-11, and this one 
called me having gotten my number from my community college, which I really don't think should be legal. And yeah, basically, you know, sold me on it. So we're going to pay you. We'll get you your school money. We'll get you your job training. You'll go and be a reporter. It'll be so exciting. And you get to get out of Syracuse, um, which is, you know, where I was from. So, and I was, I had just left a very, very um, abusive reform school. Um, I didn't realize it was abusive at the time. I thought it was just hard. <laughs> and and um, and so I was like, you know what, compared to that, like the military can't be that bad. Like, and either way, like I, I was just like, I need to get out. And so um, the military to me represented a path to um, to my next chapter and to independence. It seemed like the best option at the time. I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I was reading about sign-up bonuses. CNN was reporting that the Army increased its bonuses for recruitment. You know, if you signed up for certain jobs, uh, you could get anywhere from 1000 to 40000 and then even up to 50000 You could get a bonus for quick ship as well, where you agree to go to basic combat training within 90 days, and that could get you anywhere from 2000 to 9000 bucks. You know, some might ask... How much is your life worth? Right. Well, no, I mean, I completely agree. How much is your life worth? That's the thing is these recruiters come at children, you know, 17, 18 year old, like 16, 17, even younger than that. You know, I talked to kids in middle schools who are dealing with recruiters and, you know, they make this a thousand, two thousand, forty thousand dollars sound like so much money, but it's like, you know, these kids can make that same amount of money working any minimum wage job and they don't have to sell their body to the government and potentially die. Like that is shameful considering that it's a job you can't quit a job that might kill you and a job that if it doesn't kill you, you will never, ever, ever be able to stop thinking about it again. You're signing on a dotted line and saying, okay, the government, if I decide I don't want to be owned by you anymore, I'm going to go to jail. I'm prepared for that. Like, that's insane. There's no other job in this entire world that you can't quit once you start if you don't like it. And this is like children are being recruited to this, made made to believe that this is somehow wholesome and patriotic. You know, one of the first things I learned in basic training was how to stab a bayonet at a dummy and yell kill. Like, I was a child. <laughs> you know, like I was barely, I was 19. Your, your brain doesn't finish developing until you're 25. Why in the world would anybody in their right mind want to send their child to be turned into a killing machine before their brains even fully developed, take away their ability to think about life and the universe and everything as anything but a, a, a potential threat, because that's what the military does. It teaches you to look for threats everywhere, and then it never deprograms you. So we might ask, how much is your life worth? But then on the flip side, you know, it's up to the individual to decide, well, how much risk am I willing to take to serve my country with honor? Uh, historically, it's a source of pride. Maybe family members, friends have joined. How how much is it worth for me to sit around and, and not serve my country? That's the, that's the alternate question. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't think of the military as service. Like nothing I did in the military helped 
anybody <laughs> except for war profiteers. You know, like I think the idea that we are conditioned to think of the military as service is one of the biggest gaslighting operations that this government has. I grapple with it all the time. You know, I don't want to be thanked for what I did in the military because I don't think of it as a service. I think of it as a job, a badly paid job that required me to relinquish my own moral code, to follow orders I didn't believe in, to help create propaganda that would help other people think that what I was doing was service. You know, like, no, what I was doing was crafting, um, you know, quote unquote, victory stories about an unwinnable war to boost the morale of the other soldiers like me who were being used and exploited to, to be in it. So, you know, the military isn't service. It's it's service to the military industrial complex. It's It's service to capitalism. It's service to the patriarchy and white supremacy. The military is a service to war profiteers. But if there was a civil corps like there used to be, you know, where you could just go from high school into getting paid by the government to go like clean up the streets or to um, tend to the forests or build bike trails across the nation, as my dear departed friend Jacob George um, used to say, you know, it's like there are there are ways we can serve each other. And you could tell because when you are of service, you get done with that and you feel good. You don't feel conflicted. You don't feel like, is what I did good? Like, you know, and you, you trust your gut. And my gut said what I did in the military was of service to Dick Cheney, Joe Biden and George W. Bush, all of the war profiteers acting as though they're not responsible you know, for all of that. I think about this a lot, as, as you can probably tell. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, so so far we're asking, you know, how much is your life worth? Are these sign-up bonuses worth it? Um, is recruitment worth it? You know, is it believable? Is being in the military a service? Um, I've been thinking a lot about what the process is by which military recruiters can take up office space, like in mm -hmm. high schools, in middle mm -hmm. schools, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't see that for other professions, right? You don't see, like... A hospital, a little mini hospital, like in a middle school or a high school or a vet clinic mm -hmm. or a law firm or a farmer, right? Mm -hmm. Take up space and their job be to recruit you to their to their world mm -hmm. um, because they have one job and that's to recruit you into the military because I've seen it. I taught once at a local high school, a special workshop, and there were mm. an incredible amount of children of color in there for sure. I'm just like wondering, how do they get to do that? It's all money, right? Is it because the, you know, a private practice or a farmer doesn't have enough money to go in there? Like, no, who else has that kind of money to push their profession? Okay. So I think of it as, as I said, I think of the military as the authoritarian arm of the patriarchy and of capitalism. And you think about what public schools are in the context of capitalism and the patriarchy and white supremacy. You know, public schools are essentially um, for kids who don't have money, right? And for kids who are being trained to be good little cogs in the capitalist machine. And um, so any other profession than the military is going to teach kids to think for themselves, 
public schools are not supposed to get kids to question the system. Like, the military is not sustainable. It's the biggest polluter in the world, right? Like, it's literally, like, doing all of the destructive work of capitalism. So, like, it makes sense that a public school would be like, yeah, let's uh, let's bring in the military, but let's not bring in doctors and nurses and farmers and psychologists and musicians other than as like extracurricular or whatever. It only makes sense to me when I think of it as like public schools are places where the military goes to get its, um, you know, what it perceives as low value bodies. They pull bodies out of low income. And I say bodies because that's what the military uses. That's the term. When you get into basic training, they start calling you a body right away. You know, like I need five bodies over here. It's like, you're not a person anymore. And so they take kids who are already primed to be not cared for in an overworked system where the teachers are also not paid enough. Because these schools are not intended to actually teach kids how to be their best selves. Certain teachers will do that. And that's freaking amazing. But they are doing it despite the fact that they're intentionally underfunded and yeah, so of course the military has full access to these kids and the rest of us don't, that we have to fight to go in and be invited like vampires or something to to talk to the kids about the truth or in the military is just like given full access because that is what's going to profit um, the capitalist system most. And that is what's going to keep white supremacy thriving because as you're saying, it's all these kids of color, these kids who are already struggling because of the history of, you know, genocide and oppression and slavery in this country. So, Joy, day-to-day news sheds light on many different types of violence that happen within the military. Just to name a few, Mm -hmm. soldiers disappearing and the military, let's say the army specifically, not even looking for them. Uh, Mm -hmm. soldier-on-soldier violence, including Mm -hmm. sexual harassment, sexual assault, and murder. The news that comes out, especially in the last two years, is incredibly overwhelming and so far-fetched that it doesn't seem possible. Mm -hmm. I think that we start to get desensitized to the information. But this is stuff that people have been talking about and writing about people who have been, you know, former military, current military, Mm -hmm. and people who've never been in the military, been talking about for an incredibly long time. And then the history of the military itself is violence as well. Invading other countries, right, under the skies of um, helping them toward democracy. (laughs) You were deployed to Iraq, a couple Mm -hmm. of times. Can you tell us a bit about your general experience? So my first deployment to Iraq was in 2005. So it was was after Bush had made his mission accomplished speech, two years after almost, but still the the beginning of the, the occupation, which we were calling a reconstruction. And my experience when I, when I got there is I realized one, like most of them don't want us here as evidenced by the um, 
ongoing rocket and mortar attacks on our base, you know, and the fact that even to leave the base as a risk because there could be roadside bombs and all this stuff, like that's not like the behavior of a, a people who are really happy to have you in their country. <laughs> um, and then I looked around and I saw Baghdad and I saw the way that Baghdad used to be. And, you know, Baghdad is the cradle of civilization, the oldest city in human culture. And we had reduced it to rubble. They didn't have sewage treatment. They didn't have 24-hour electricity. They did not have running water all the time. They didn't have safe schools, hospitals, workplaces, like all of pretty much all of the professional class had fled um, during the bombing and, and the military. We disbanded the military, right? So the result of us invading Iraq was to destroy its infrastructure, get rid of a leader that was no longer friendly to us, because of course we didn't mind what he did to his own people as long as he was being cooperative with us. You know, Saddam was, was a, a handy puppet until he wasn't. And yeah, so I, I looked around and saw we had not liberated anyone. And of course, in retrospect now, I'm like, what kind of democracy are we going to bring to anyone when we don't even have it? Like, none of us voted to start this war. I didn't vote for it. Like, what kind of a democracy do we have if we can't even vote to not go to war? You know? So I was like, all right, if we're transplanting the U.S. system over here, even even if that was the case, which we weren't, you know, we were transplanting a whole other form of coercive control. But even if we were trying to create the same system that we have in the U.S., that would not work for Iraq um, at all. It is an entirely different country, and those people deserve the right to self-determine. And you know, and I started paying attention. I was like, have, have has the U.S. ever been invaded? No. Would Iraq ever invade us? No. Could they even? No. <laughs> you know? And um, and then I started paying attention to just the way that regular Iraqis were in their lives. You know, and I just, I, I saw myself in them. And I was like, you know, if, if people who looked like them showed up in uniforms in my streets, would I welcome them? Or would I bomb them? Personally, I would not be like, yay, thank you so much for saving me from my autonomy. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my, my first tour. I went under the stop loss program. So I did not intend to go back the second time. I thought I was going to be out of the military. I only signed up for five years. And I was involuntarily extended for an extra year to go back to Iraq. So at that point, I was like, fully disillusioned by then. I was like, all right, not only are we not doing anything good for the people here, but we, the quote unquote good guys are being treated like trash. Like we don't even matter at all. So what kind of good could we possibly be doing to anyone else if this is how our government is treating us? Like if I can't even say, I don't want to go to war and have them be like, cool, then you're not going. And like I said, no other job in the universe can can you not quit once you realize that it opposes all of your morals and um and that it is endangering you for no reason at all other than some men's profit like that's 
and you know, and I use profit in both sense of the words because religion is used to justify a whole lot of things. We're told that there's been conflict for thousands of years in the Middle East. No, there hasn't. There has been uh, global imperialism that has been attempting to destroy the autonomy of people in the Middle East for hundreds of years, but um, there hasn't been the religious conflict that our government would lead us to believe that there is. You know, Saddam Hussein was not a religious dictator. It was basically like, you're loyal to me or you're probably going to die, but it wasn't religious. So, you know, all of these narratives that, that we were fed about what it was in Iraq and what was going on there and what we were doing, all I had to do was open my eyes and see that that was not true. So, um, yeah, and a lot of people won't open their eyes. They don't want to. It's hard. I get it. It's hard to acknowledge that you're part of an evil empire and that you're part of an illegally invading and occupying force. Nobody wants to think of themselves like that. But I, I feel like it's harder to try to delusion, you know, disillusion yourself and call yourself a hero and a patriot when you really were just taken advantage of to do a job that harmed other people and yourself and that contributed to the entire destabilization of that whole of, of the Middle East. Um, and, and that was its, its goal, you know, as, as I went back to school and studied it, the war at Berkeley, after I got out, I, I, you know, understood the political context more and I understood why we were there. And I understood that it was all a part of this strategic power mapping and resource control, you know, not just oil, not just power, not just strategic locations, but it, it's all of these things combined. And it's our government that wants us to simplify things like, oh, we fight a war to, against terrorism. No, we are the terrorists. We are waging war literally everywhere in the world, including on our own streets I, I, I don't know if you were in Portland or any or Minneapolis or the cities last year where we were getting tear gassed. I was tear gassed in Portland last year. I was not tear gassed in Iraq. So I don't know what terrorism we're fighting. You know, we are the terrorists and it's replicating itself here in this country. And if we don't all stop and take a really hard look at what it is that we're doing in the Middle East and be honest with ourselves and kind to ourselves and forgiving with ourselves about the fact that we might have wanted to believe we were fighting terrorism, but we certainly were not. And we are the bad guys. And all we can do is try to make up for it. Like until we can do that, we're going to be stuck in this same cycle. And it has nothing to do with, you know, religion or democracy or freedom. We don't fight war for those reasons. We fight wars for power and profit. And we stay out of wars for independence and democracy and freedom. We resist wars because that's what free people do. Well, I'm just a little cog in your machine. Yes, I'm just a little cog in your machine. Just a little cog help you live high on the hog. I'm just a little cog in your machine.
just a little match inside your book. Yes, I'm just a little match inside your book. When you light the world aflame, you do it in my name. I'm just a little match inside your book. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. That song you just heard was Just a Little Cog, and it was performed by our special guest tonight, Joy Damiani, writer, musician, amateur boxer, and much, much more. You'll find links to everything Joy Damiani at joydamiani.com and of course we will post links on our website kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight let's get back to the conversation now this is joy damiani she is being interviewed by our own first voice graduate sarah blanco we return now to the conversation as they discuss the case of vanessa Guillen and violence within the military itself joy We've been following the story of Vanessa Guillen, who disappeared on April 22nd, 2020, from the Fort Hood military base, Army base in Texas. Mm -hmm. And the family has long claimed inaction by the Army, um, the law enforcement there, and, and the law enforcement in the surrounding city. Um, that they were they were holding protests before much was was being done. Although the army will say that they were working on things behind the scenes, and so that also led to a large movement of the "I Am Vanessa Guillen" movement. You know, other people coming out and telling their stories because Vanessa had told her family that she was being sexually assaulted, and although 
Uh, she didn't name names to her family specifically or, or that hasn't come out publicly. The idea is, is that the army was saying, well, we don't really have any record of that. So a lot has happened since then. Unfortunately, she was found brutally murdered and the main suspect killed himself fleeing the army base. But it was months after, right, she disappeared mm -hmm. that he was able to just kind of still kind of go on with his life. Mm -hmm. And so... There was this um, independent investigation into Fort Hood. And so one of the findings was that there were a lot of inexperienced people in certain positions, namely CID, Army's Criminal Investigation Division. There were inexperienced people who should have been doing forensic work, right? Should have been mm -hmm. finding massive amounts of blood in the arms room where, mm -hmm. she, where she was believed to have been murdered by a soldier. Mm -hmm. um, and that they were just mishandling everything. And all mm -hmm. I could think was like, you can blame inexperience, but is there more involved there? Why would you deliberately or subconsciously mm -hmm. or accidentally put such inexperienced people in such important positions? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to be able to, you know, claim to claim ignorance and to claim um that it's not it's not um you know the higher ups fault like well we tried to train these people and i mean the military is fraud waste and abuse right but it's also incompetence like i got out of the military because i realized that the only most of the people who stayed in i won't say all there are some wonderful people i know who have stayed in the military for their own reasons that I will not judge. Um, but there were all, most of the people in leadership positions that I knew, I was like, oh, you're actually just incompetent, but you can't do anything else. So you stay in the military and they keep promoting you. Like most of the people who can get out of the military and do something else with their lives, I noticed were doing that. But either way, like the military does not want itself to be implicated in any tragic murder because to do that they would have to um, acknowledge that there is no oversight that this that there is no real way for anyone to report any kind of harassment or assault without the military trying to make it their fault it's intended to to keep giving it plausible deniability Oh, we tried. We can't help it. The military is not going to full properly investigate itself. You know, <laughs> this government is run by exploiters and um, warmongers and racists and sexists. So why would it effectively do anything to stop those things? It's it's all just gaslighting. I think the gaslighting is something that Vanessa Guillen's family experienced, and that's why they were out there protesting everything from the mm -hmm. seriousness of, you're not looking for Vanessa um, to just mishandling um, the basics of, of forensic investigation. And so I also think a lot about how much money it costs to recruit any one given person into the military, and then how much money it might cost to kick them out of the military for doing something bad. 
or court-martial someone, right? And then also the negative light that it sheds. But there's no way the army can, or Fort Hood, let's say specifically, can continue to kind of push away that dark light, right? There's so many reports mm. now of missing soldiers and in action, um, being marked AWOL instead of like actively searching, just like, oh, they must be gone. Violence. Um, criminal activity, the likes that are enough to blow your mind. And so it's just a microcosm of the of the real world per se. Mm -hmm. But if you have so many different perpetrators all living in one space, you wonder, okay, one, how did they get there? How did this not get identified before? Well, maybe they were sent there for <laughs> because of those reasons, mm -hmm. right? Okay, let mm. the army handle it and sort it out, right? But I was reading reports where the army, um, or I think in Fort Hood, was claiming that most um, victims, as they're calling them, in terms of um, you know sexual assault and sexual harassment, were were young, between the ages of seventeen to twenty-five, and that mm -hmm. a lot of it's kind of peer on peer. <laughs> and the, right I'm isn't like, that a funny way of saying like we made these people do this to each other <laughs> sorry uh hmm. peer on peer it's it's i mean as opposed to higher ranking it seems like that they're trying to say as well well and it's all it's everybody it's all the, like the military trains people to be violent and aggressive how can you expect them to be anything but violent and aggressive with one another? Like, <laughs> it's like they're they're not training Joy. anyone in de-escalation. Joy, um, that's such a good <laughs> yeah. point. Sorry to interrupt there. But yeah. if you're 20 years old, you can assume that maybe you've only been in the army for one to two years. Can you blame the army for that? Of course. I mean, the military takes young minds and molds them into killing machines that have been trained to to shut down their emotions and shut down their empathy. The way you stand in the military. Like, I, I've been through a lot of therapy, right, in the last years, 15, whatever years since I've been out. And I did a rolfing. I don't know if you've heard of rolfing, but I, I got rolfed. And uh, it's this deep tissue massage, and there's also a lot of other elements to it. But the woman who did the rolfing with me the first time, she was like, stand up straight. And I stood up what I thought was straight. And she was like, do you see how your shoulders are back and your chest is out and your, your, actually your center of gravity is behind you? Like, you're not stable. The way they trained you to stand that way because standing with your shoulders back and your chest out cuts off your emotional center. If you aren't able to empathize and feel your emotional center other than rage, then you can kill people. But if you're empathizing with people, like you can't, you can't kill people. You look across, you're like, oh, you're just me. You're just in a different uniform or a different country. You're just like, you're just another, another me. And so the military has to train people to not see each other as people. Um, if it's going to make them effective soldiers, being a soldier is being prepared to commit homicide on command. Like, that's what it is. Why are any of us surprised that this is what happened with Vanessa Guillen? I was sexually assaulted in the military, and I didn't report it because I knew that while I was deployed, you're not supposed to be in the same living quarters with the opposite sex, right? Or with males and females couldn't be in the same living quarters, even to just hang out. And so if I was, because I was sexually assaulted while just hanging out with a couple guys that I thought were my friends, 
um, I would get in trouble for that. The military would blame me. And I am certain, 100% positive, that Vanessa Guillen did not get her concerns listened to because the military was always going to cover up what happened to her. It was, it, they do not ever want to take responsibility. Once you start taking responsibility for turning people into um, killers, um, you have to acknowledge that your entire system turns people into that. That's what it's doing intentionally. I want to ask you if you have heard of different types of criminal activity that would lead to violence, soldier-on-soldier -soldier violence. Let's say weapons trafficking. Honestly, I think soldier-on-soldier -soldier violence is inevitable. It is inevitable. When you are trained to kill your brain does not discriminate between who you have been trained to kill and who you have not been trained to kill. This is the thing. Military conditioning is going to lead to soldier-on-soldier -soldier violence. There will be any number of reasons. Why weapons trafficking? You know, like, when you look at... Why do people need money? You know, because we have this exploitive system that says we have billions and billions and billions of dollars for war, but we can't send everyone to school. Um, but we can't give everyone health care. Why shouldn't everybody have socialized health care? You know, I get an income from my PTSD um, disability from the VA because I, I had to go and fight and get my claim through. But like every single person in this country should be getting a universal basic income from from this country because the money is there. Like what are people joining the military for? Healthcare, education, job training, um, adventure, uh, a sense of service and purpose. Like, like we can just get rid of the military and all of a sudden there's billions of dollars to just give people to do whatever they're passionate about and whatever makes them feel whole and wonderful and helpful. And that's what people want to do. You know, since since I got my disability, like, I'm not looking at, like, how do I, like, exploit other people? I'm looking at how do I live the healthiest, best life I can? And how do I keep other people aware of the fact that they deserve that, too? When you take off the uniform and you step out of ranks, then you pay attention to what it is to actually be a human in this world. And you pay attention to the fact that this government that we live under does not want us to think about that because then we are much harder to control. And so we are speaking with Joy Damiani, writer, podcaster, and musician. And you are in the process of writing a book about the military. What can you share with us so far about that? And when can we possibly expect it? Mm, yeah. Um, the book is called If You Ain't Cheating, You Ain't Trying and Other Lessons I Learned in the Army. And uh, it's, I wrote it based on, I'm in the middle of like final, final line edits now. Um, I'm going to be self-publishing so that I can maintain creative control and determine who has access um, and, you know, make sure I know that I'm not going to be held back in any way because of the content of this book, but I really just wanted to answer the questions that people ask me um, regularly about the military once they find out that I was in and just kind of tell, show rather than tell maybe some of these experiences 
um, you know, go in depth about what, what happened? What, what was it like when I joined? Like, why, what was the headspace I was in when the recruiter called? Um, like all these questions that you've, that we've been kind of going over in this conversation, I go into much more depth in the book. You know, I write about, uh, basic training. I write about journalism slash public affairs training. I write about my first and second deployment. I write about domestic violence and sexual assault within the military. And I write a little bit about my experience after getting out when I went back to school to study the war I had just been in. (laughs) And I am planning to have it out by Veterans Day this year. So November 11th, 2022. And Hopefully that will all go according to plan. I'm going to do an audiobook version as well because I think that, you know, we all I just want to make, you know, I want to make my story accessible. I want everybody who is in the military who has a story to tell to tell it and I think if by me telling mine it, it helps other people realize that they can tell theirs and that they need to tell theirs. Great. But I'm really right I've really written it for the kids you know, for the, for the teenagers like me who didn't have anyone to tell them what it was really like, um, and who don't have anyone to tell them what it's really like. And they're inundated with recruiters and propaganda from the government saying, join the military, you'll be of service. And they have very, very, very few voices in their brains, in their ears, telling them things like it's exploitation. It's, you know, it's trauma. And, um, And yeah, you know, you might get some good things out of it, but that doesn't mean it's not an abusive relationship. And that's what the military is. It's getting yourself into an abusive relationship you can't get out of. I've written this in hopes and in a way that will hopefully be accessible to young people so that they get it, so that if they decide to go and do this thing, they're doing it with their eyes wide open, wide open. They're going in thinking and knowing that they're going to be used as a pawn, as a body, and that if they get good things out of that experience, it is it will be entirely because of who they personally are and not because the military is trying to give them a good experience. Thank you so much for giving us your perspective. Thank you for all of your music as well. Mm-hmm. We've been speaking with Joy Damiani. Thank you so much for joining me, Tanae. Thank you so much for having me and just giving me giving me space to share all these things. Not not every radio station <laughs> in this country is interested in hearing the opinions of the loudmouth anti-war veteran. <laughs> um, that's an accurate statement. Um, and, you know, I was also thinking about there's been a lot of, you know, videos and uh, news stories around Vanessa Guillen where they're coming out on video and telling their story. Always such a, a moment of, of strength and great reporting. But I'll notice that it just doesn't ever go deeper into the statistics of the violence um, within the military. Um, they might name the, you know, statistics on happening at Fort Hood, but it just doesn't tend to go deeper than that or talk about any kind of reform or, or shutting things down. And I think that conversation is, is still valid, but um, you're just not going to hear it on, on regular news. 
No, no, because if you did, the only logical conclusion that anyone, if anyone is speaking <clears throat> rationally about the military with <clears throat> with no emotion at all, if you're just thinking logically, rationally, how do we stop military violence, soldier on soldier violence? How do we stop all of these problems that are so deeply rooted in the military? Well, the only answer is to abolish the military. <laughs> and you know what? Most people aren't ready for that conversation but the military in this country started out as an oppressive genocidal force, and that is what it has continued to be. It's never going to not be that. If we want to heal ourselves as a culture, if we want to be healthy and thriving and sustainable people, we need to get rid of the biggest polluter and the biggest destroyer in the world, which is the U.S. military. It needs to be done. The next generation needs to be like, you know what? Take $700 billion a year and start giving people money for food and houses, clothes, and basic needs. And I believe that the next generation knows that and that they will know it more and more and more if we continue to be honest with them. We don't need to continue a cycle of violence in this country. Just because it's been that way doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be. We know that. I mean, we invaded Afghanistan for no reason. Like, <laughs> there, there were no Afghans involved in the terror attacks on 9-11. There were no Iraqis involved. Um, we, first of all, we as a nation, uh, uh, we have no legs to stand on. We are not a democracy. We're barely a representative republic, barely. You know, we had literal federal agents disappearing people from the streets in our country last year. Um, I'm saying we're not a democracy. We are not a safe country by any means. We don't have universal health care or education. We don't have a reasonable immigration system. We don't have um, resources for people who need uh, homes and food. So like we need to clean our own house first of all before we can even think of telling other people what they should be doing. You know it all comes back to power and profit. We're not looking at the narrative of what needs to happen in our own country so that every single human being can live autonomously and free. Um, you know we're, we have to ask those questions. We have to ask the right questions and we can't get sucked into the narrative. Like, we, we support people until we oppress them. Lather, rinse, repeat. That's what this country does. Joy Damiani is writing a book based on Joy's military experiences. Uh, Joy is also a musician and has been writing for a long time as well. Can you tell us where people can learn more about what you're working on? How do people find out more? Yeah, my website is joydamiani.com. And there are links to all the various things I do. You can stream the podcast from there. You can stream my latest music. I have uh, a new song called It's All Right to Not Be Okay that I just released um, last December at the end of the year with a fun video uh, of me in a boxing ring getting knocked the out. You can find me on let's see all the socials at Joy Damiani Music um, on Twitter. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Joy at joydamiani.com is how you can get in touch with me if you want to find out about school visits. I talk to kids in classrooms sometimes through a organization called We Are Not Your Soldiers, 
org. So if anyone's interested in having me come and speak to their classroom, they should go to We Are Not Your Soldiers, and it can actually get a bunch of other veterans to come and talk. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Very hard-hitting stuff, and we hope to have you back soon. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this work. You're doing such a service. You are doing more of a service than the military is. I'm going to put that out there right now. Public radio is more of a service than the military. Thank you, Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. It's all right to not be okay. There's no such thing as perfect anyway. We're all growing out of an overheating planet. That's not a metaphor. When I look at my hand, I see leaves at the ends of knobby little branches attached to a trunk that walks around and talks about itself all day. It's all right to not be okay. It's all right to not be okay. It's all right to not be okay. Everybody on the TV is trying to convince me it'll all be better if I would only buy whatever clever thing they're selling me this week while I sit under a tree that looks a lot like me and all I can say is it's alright to not be okay it's alright to not be okay it's alright to not be okay well I don't make the rules but then neither do you we're all stumbling around in search of some kind of clue as to who and why and where the f*** we are Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. That song you just heard was It's All Right Not to Be Okay, performed by our special guest tonight, Joy Damiani. Joy is a musician, the host of a podcast called What the Folk. She is also an author, and her new book is if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, and other lessons I learned in the military will be coming out soon. You can find information about everything Joy Damiani is doing at joydamiani.com. That's joydamiani.com. And of course, as always, we will post a link on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight to all Joy's work. A big shout out and a thank you to First Voice graduate Sarah Blanco for bringing us the voice of Joy Damiani tonight. Check out Sarah Blanco as part of the La Onda crew for La Onda Bajita. You can catch her every first Friday at 9 p.m. right here on KPFA. And real quickly, before I run out of time tonight, I want to give you a heads up on some events that are happening around the Bay Area. Two of them are in Antioch, one out there in Oakland. All three of these events are happening tomorrow, April 9th. First up, check out a poetic experience at the El Campanel Theater in Antioch. This will be tomorrow at 2 p.m. 
There will be an open mic, poetry panel conversation, an exhibition dance battle, and of course, a poetry showcase. Again, that's tomorrow, 2 p.m. at the El Campanal Theater in Antioch. Doors open at 1.15, and you can get your free tickets at www.lcampaneltheaters.com. That's E-L-C-A-M-P-A-N-I-L, theater, as in R-E.com. Also happening tomorrow in Antioch is an Easter food giveaway, feeding the hungry and helping those in need. This will be starting at 1 p.m. at 611 West 9th Street here in Antioch, right down the street from my house. You can call for more information, 925-726-6922. That's 925-726-6922. You can get a ham and a nice bag of groceries. Again, that's 1 p.m. tomorrow, 611 West 9th Street here in Antioch. And if you're out there in Oakland and you want to hang out with J.R. Valray, former KPFA broadcaster of Block Report Radio, as he hosts the launch party for the Minister of Information podcast. That's his new podcast. That's tomorrow, Saturday, April 9th, 5.30 p.m. at Zani in Oakland, 19 Grand Avenue, right out there in Oakland, California. Again, check out the launch party for the Minister of Information podcast. That's tomorrow, Saturday, April 9th, 5.30 p.m. at Zani in Oakland, 19 Grand Avenue in Oakland, California. That's it for my events, and that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight for links and information relating to tonight's show, including all about Joy Damiani and the events I just listed. Let me give a big shout out to First Voice graduate Sarah Blanco for this great show tonight and the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And again, me, Freewell and Franklin. I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle. And I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And please remember, while you're out there, protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because you know what's next. La onda bajita. Good night, everyone.